Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 20, verse 1 through 8. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 879. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priest and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority? He answered them, I also will ask you a question, now tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. And please join with me in prayer. O Lord, our God, this is your word, your inerrant, inspired, your authoritative word. And so give us your help. Uh, Give us uh, ears to hear, eyes to see, wills to obey, hearts to believe. Help us by your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I struggled to uh, write this sermon because I was so tempted so many different times to swerve into politics. I see such a stark resemblance uh, between the religious leaders in our passage and the politicians that we have representing our nation today. And when I say representing our nation today, since Since the time I was old enough to pay attention, I guess 18 years old, on up through today, uh, and it seems to be getting exponentially worse, Um, the the politicians we have seem to be getting to be more and more like these religious authorities that we read about. Um, The religious authorities in this passage are cowardly, they are self-centered, they are dishonest. They care more about protecting their position and prestige than about the important responsibilities put under their care. They do not care about what is good for the people, nor about what is biblical or true, but only about their narrow, self-consumed objectives. They are their own authority answerable only to themselves. I, I, I will say or make one comment about our uh, national politics. I often hear uh, comments to the effect that our political leaders are brainless or incompetent. No matter who is occupying the White House, no matter who, uh, which party is uh, occupying the Um, House of Representatives or the Senate. Frankly, 
I don't believe that lack of intelligence is the issue. Uh, The issue for the vast majority is that they are immoral, dishonest, only thinking about themselves and the special interests that are lining their pockets. Our national politicians and the religious leaders in our passage are cut from the same cloth. They are in positions of great responsibility and for the vast majority are immoral and dishonest to the core. Now, let's turn to our passage, uh, and we see here, uh, as the passage opens, that these immoral and dishonest religious leaders had come to investigate Jesus. You will remember how Jesus arrived in Jerusalem only a couple of days prior. He came, how? Riding on a young donkey that had never been ridden, in keeping with the prophecy of Zechariah. Uh, how the Messianic king would arrive in Jerusalem. Everybody knew that that's what Jesus was declaring, that he was the king. And then when he arrived inside Jerusalem, he went inside the temple. Remember what he was doing? began doing? He began overturning very violently the uh, tables of the money changers. He made himself a whip, began driving out all the livestock that they were uh, selling in the uh, temple grounds. And he would not let people use the court of the Gentiles as a shortcut to the other areas of uh, the temple. And all this was very certain. Uh, to, to poke the hornet ne- hornet's nest of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And sure enough, that's what happened. But when that happened, Jesus did not shrink off into a corner. But rather, as he had cleansed the temple, he basically took it over. He made the temple his own pulpit where he was teaching the people day by day. Remember, Jerusalem was swelled at this point with the crowds coming from all over the world to observe the Passover uh, feast, the Passover week. Jerusalem normally had 80,000 people. Now uh, there were 200,000 people or more, uh, they estimate, uh, that were inside of Jerusalem, and the religious leaders were absolutely beside themselves. Look at the last two verses of Luke 19. It says, "He He was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priest and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. And that's the situation we come to in our passage. These immoral, dishonest, enraged religious leaders came to investigate Jesus, to stand in judgment over him. If we were to look ahead to uh, the rest of Luke 20, we'll see this pattern happen over and over again. The religious leaders looking for some way to accuse Jesus. 
Uh, they came with a vengeance, wave after wave, from every sort of angle. They are ready to be rid of him. And this morning's passage is only the first salvo. So verses 1 and 2, One day as Jesus was teaching in the temple, or teaching the people in the temple, and preaching the gospel, the chief priest and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or who is it that gave you this authority? No questions about whether what he is saying is true or false, whether it is biblical or unbiblical. They only want to know who gave him this authority. In the minds of the religious leaders, they were convinced that they had Jesus dead to rights. They wanted to know by what authority Jesus cleansed the temple or what gave him the right to set up a pulpit and teach the people every day from the, in the temple. Jesus did not have uh, an officially sanctioned title or position within the religious establishment. He was an outsider with no credentials or pedigree to justify his ministry, much less his violent cleansing of the temple. Who was he to come into town and take over the temple? What gave him the right? Before we move on, I must point out that this is still the biggest issue that people have with Jesus. When you boil down uh, many of the objections that people have, it comes down to who gives him the right to demand my worship and my obedience? Who is he to tell me that he is the only way to eternal life? By what authority can he tell me what to do with my money, with my Time with my life. What gives him the right to determine what is right and wrong for everybody in the whole world? I think that is the underlying issue that people have when G- with Jesus Christ when you boil it all down and uh, get underneath the objections that people raise. I want you to notice two things here. First, Jesus does not gentlemanly comply with their challenge to his authority. His attitude was not, well, what will they let me get away with? Better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. That was not his attitude at all. He did not shrink back. When Jesus comes into our life, he does not ask us permission. He simply comes in and takes over. My plan was certainly not to become a Christian during my freshman year of college. I had my plans laid out, and Jesus was not in any of them. Uh, He he might have been third, fourth, fifth after I got out of college. But the Lord Jesus came into my life. The Word of God began impacting my soul. I began to see that I was a sinner in need of salvation. And frankly, as the Holy Spirit began convicting me, 
I could not say no to him. I wanted his salvation. I eagerly bowed my life to him. But it was because he, he sought me and brought me to himself. You know, my plan was certainly not to become a pastor. <laughs> um, here I am. I had plans for my life. And Jesus totally upended them, and he did not ask my permission first. Secondly, I want you to notice that Jesus did not answer the religious leader's question. He was not going to be cowered by them or cowed by them. He was not going to cower before them. He is the Messiah. He is the King of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is their authority. Instead of coming and questioning him, who is your authority to do these things? They should have been bowing their hearts and their lives and their knees before him. There's another issue that I want to address in verses 1 and 2. But it's an issue that is doing great harm in our present day society. The religious leaders here in in verse 2 are making an, an appeal to authority. If you've ever taken a class in logic, you'll know that this is a logical fallacy. They are not making an appeal to Scripture. They are not even making any sort of argument. They simply feel that they can question Jesus based on their own authority as their credentialed religious leaders. This uh, logical fallacy of appeal to authority is running amok in our society. And so I I felt like we needed to go on just a little rabbit trail here. We have experts that tell us to believe this. We have the consensus opinion that, uh, that we all must do this or that. The media trots out someone in a, uh, a, a white lab coat, and we're all expected to comply without asking any questions. And I'm not really even talking about the pandemic here. I mean, this is a statement I could have made five years ago. Although I do think that it is immoral for um, the Centers for Disease Control not to release all the data on the coronavirus to the public. Um, There needs to be sunshine uh, into every corner. But the appeal to authority um, is a fallacy because all the experts can be wrong. Or more to the point, all the experts can also be corrupted by payoffs underneath the table. Just because someone is, has the title of expert or some alphabetic letters after their name, Ph.D. or whatever, or M.D., um, doesn't mean that they are infallible. In our corrupt society, we need as much sunshine on the establishment, on the elites, on the experts as we can get. The appeal to authority is, by definition, a logical fallacy. Don't be duped by it. 
be willing to ask questions. Be willing to investigate for yourself. And that's the end of the rabbit trail. Back to the text. The religious leaders considered themselves as the experts, as the final authority. They were the credentialed ones. Everyone in society recognized them as the experts. And these religious leaders, they had witnessed Jesus' miracles. They had heard his teaching, I'm sure on many occasions, during the three years, not only during that week. They knew the many ways that Jesus' life and his teaching was a fulfillment of uh, different prophecies in the Old Testament. And they had the testimony of John the Baptist. There was a very strong argument that Jesus was the Messiah. But none of that mattered to them. All facts were disregarded because they, in their minds, were the only authority that mattered. And Jesus was able to see right through them. He knew that they were gutless. Instead of being religious leaders, he knew that they really uh, were just religious politicians. They had no commitment to God. They only had a commitment to themselves. So Jesus is brilliant. He issued a ploy to expose themselves to themselves. He put them on the horns of a dilemma. The only way for the religious leaders um, to get off the horns of this dilemma was to repent or to lose face in front of Jesus and the crowds. I I really don't think Jesus is just protecting himself here um, in verses 3 and 4. But I, I believe he's going after their hearts, seeking their salvation. But sadly... We're going to see just how deeply committed these religious leaders were to their own self-preservation. Look at verses 3 and 4. Jesus answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And Luke here allows us to listen in to the discussion of the religious leaders so that we can understand the dilemma that Jesus had put upon them. Uh, so we see them discussing among themselves. They, they gathered together in an unholy huddle in verses 5 and 6, and they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say, from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. And the John here is John the Baptist. Jesus had put them into a lose-lose situation. They had rejected John the Baptist. In fact, I think it was in Luke chapter 7, they sent out a a delegation. Maybe John chapter 3. No. Anyway, I think... Luke 7, I shouldn't leave my notes here, but he, uh, they sent out a delegation to investigate John the Baptist. Uh, they refused to listen to his teaching, refused to believe him. So because they had rejected John the Baptist, 
they knew that if they said that John's baptism was sanctioned by heaven, in other words, uh, sanctioned by God, then Jesus would nail them for their unbelief. Plus, they recognized if John's baptism was sanctioned um, by God, or as it says here in the text, sent from heaven, they would have to admit that Jesus was the Messiah because John the Baptist had announced Jesus as the Messiah. But if they rejected John the Baptist, here's the other horn on the, on the dilemma. The crowds would tear them apart because they were, they were convinced that John the Baptist was a prophet, as indeed he was. It's clear as we listen in on the discussion of the religious leaders that they were not examining the facts about Jesus. They are not talking anything in their little unholy huddle about his miracles or about his teaching or about fulfilled prophecy, nor were they discussing the testimony of John the Baptist. Rather, rather than discussing the facts, they were only discussing the effects. They didn't care about the truth, only how to answer in such a way that would benefit them the most. Finally, they decided that the only answer that they could possibly get away with was no answer. And so, you know, our, our Lord Jesus is good. He's, he is the all-wise God. No way that they were going to get off the horns of this dilemma that Jesus had set up uh, for them. They tried to entrap Jesus, and Jesus effortlessly cornered them. So they... The only answer they could give was to refuse to give an answer. Verse 7. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. Talking about John's baptism. Finally, I'm sorry, uh, their self-centered motives are on display for everyone to see. Unfortunately, many today give similar answers or similar responses to Jesus. A lot of people won't outright deny him, but they find ways of dealing with him not in a straightforward manner. You know, you have people ask, well, what about other religions? Is it fair that salvation is exclusively in Jesus I'm a, poor, I'm a moral person. Surely Jesus will accept me. And they ask questions like that. Like, and like the religious leaders, they allow themselves to be self-deluded. They don't want to face the true consequences of Jesus' lordship. The costs are too high for them to follow Jesus. They'll have to give up too much. But if Jesus is indeed the Messiah, if Jesus is indeed the Son of God, then the case is closed. That settles all questions. The only response to Jesus, if he is the Messiah, is to bow to him, to worship him, to trust him, to obey him, because he is your God. If Jesus is who he says he who says he is, 
any other response is inadequate and dishonest. So, the question is, how can we know who Jesus is? We don't have the luxury of seeing him perform miracles in front of us or hearing him teach right in our face or in our presence or meet him face to face. So how can we know who Jesus is? Well, we can read about the fulfilled prophecies in the scriptures. We can read his teachings. In fact, that would be my challenge uh, that I would put to any who are not dealing with the Lord Jesus honestly. Read his word. Read the gospels. And if it's too big a burden to find out whether Jesus is your God or not, I'll narrow it down. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7. Three short chapters. It was Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. That shook me enough to make me realize that I was saying, Lord, Lord, but I was keeping him at hand's uh, length, or arm's length, that... I was claiming him as my Savior, but I was not worshiping him as my Lord. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, the Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And so I would challenge you, read the Sermon on the Mount. Fifteen minutes, maybe longer if you read it thoughtfully. and Read different questions and think about it and pray about it. If that's too long for you, Turn to Matthew 13 and read the parables. One chapter full of Jesus' parables. Or you might turn to Matthew chapter 23 and hear the woes that Jesus pronounced on the Pharisees and witness his authority in action. And investigate for yourself. Is this the Messiah? Is this the Son of God? Don't let yourself be self-deluded because you read some question on the internet of someone who does not believe in the Lord Jesus or because you have things in your life that are more important than Jesus, your creator. Forget the cost. And read the scriptures. Deal with Jesus honestly. Forget what it will mean for you, um, for your life to follow him. But examine him. Examine his teachings, his claims. Because if you come to find that Jesus is the son of God, that answers every other question. The question is settled. If he is the Messiah. If reading these chapters from Matthew is insufficient and you want a a little bit bigger view, read the Gospel of John. See how Jesus came to his own people and his own people rejected him. See how Jesus loved sinners. And how he embraced the cross for sinners like us. 
See how he gave up his life, gave up everything in order that he might be the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Read the Gospel of John, 21 chapters. Deal honestly with Jesus. Don't be like these religious leaders in their self-deceit. When the religious leaders refused to answer Jesus, how did Jesus respond? He rebuked them with silence. Verse 8, And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I think there's a twofold reason why he refused to answer them. First, it was still early in the week, and he was not ready to be arrested until Thursday night and put on the cross on uh, Friday. So it wasn't quite his time. He still had some teaching he needed to do, still had to instruct his disciples some more. But secondly, and I think more to the point, I think his silence is a rebuke. They were actively rejecting Jesus and refusing to deal with the dilemma that Jesus had put before them. So Jesus said, if you're so determined to harden your heart, then have at it. I'm not going to answer you. You know, God is not obliged to play silly games with unbelievers who refuse to honestly deal with the Lord Jesus. In fact, he, he can shut people out of his presence. He is God. He doesn't owe anyone second chances. He is almighty God. It is our duty to submit to him and trust in him. But also, because he is almighty God, he is able to save us to the uttermost. His salvation is a real salvation. Sometimes, and I'm switching off that subject just a little bit as I close, I want to remind you of his lordship, of his almighty power, because sometimes it's tempting to think that the world, our societal norms, our political leadership are just out of control. But Jesus' rebuke of silence is a reminder that he is in control, even if he is not overtly striking his enemies as we'd like him to do. Like I was telling the young people a while ago, even when it seems like Jesus is not answering his promises, he is absolutely in control. Everything is under his almighty and sovereign power even when we can't see it. And so I want to remind you, as I reminded the children, Jesus is Lord, and we can trust him no matter what we are going through today in our lives or in our nation. We can trust him no matter what the future might bring. Believers in the Lord Jesus, trust in him. Unbelievers, come to him. Trust in him. He's a good Savior. Why would you not come to him for the salvation that he purchased for you on the cross? As we pray together. Lord Jesus, we worship you.
this morning. You are worthy of our worship. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the hearts of your people, that you would break and remake the hearts of those who do not belong to you. We ask this in your awesome and holy name. Amen.